We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis and Coaches. To book online, please visit www.phoenixtaxis.net. To a special True Faith Weekly podcast edition. I'm joined today by George Colkin of the Times and uh, Michael Martin, True Faith editor, to talk through Newcastle's summer transfer business. Uh, evening, gentlemen. Evening, evening. Uh, we're going to talk about the business Newcastle should have done based on at the end of last season, what we actually did do, and what Newcastle need to do moving forwards. And we'll have a bit of a chat about Newcastle's start of the season and the defeated Arsenal. So, George, I'll start with you. Uh, where did you assess Newcastle at the end of last season? Uh, and you know, basically, what did you think was absolutely essential? Um, well, I suppose I was frothing at the end of last season, and I fully expected to be frothing here tonight. And having done a few of these kind of end of transfer window podcasts before, usually with Michael, frothing is usually the uh, uh, <laughs> sort of a massive, a massive part of. And I'm slightly, I'm if I'm frothing at anything, it's the fact that I cannot froth. Nice. Which is sort of which is annoying me a bit. That's not a picture our uh, listeners need. In head. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Collective froth. I apologise. Um, well, I would I would have said at the end of last season that Newcastle need to go out and spend forty million quid, fifty million quid if they don't want to, another season that they just had. And oh, the bastards have done it. <laughs> um, so I suppose you have to kind of uh, you have to you have to say they've done. I mean. I think they've done absolutely what they had to do. Um, they've done what they needed to do. Have they gone a bit beyond that? Possibly. Could they have gone further? Um, yes. Um, but by and large, I think I think um, you know that last season was so so bad, um, and was almost you know was almost worse than that. Um, but uh, you know they've got a new manager, and I think I think there's. A feeling of positivity around the place, which is sort of the most encouraging thing, albeit without a league, without a league win. Yeah, I think that's probably echoed by a lot of Newcastle fans. The 
idea of kind of figures is difficult, especially with the new TV deal. But at pretty much fifty million pound was the minimum a lot of fans were looking for. Michael, I'll come to you. Ashley Television at the end of last season, West Ham at home. Um, did that make any difference to to how you thought the summer would go, and has it lived lived up to the expectations he set? I think it did make a difference to what I expected because he he made such a plain statement that there was going to be a change in the summer. I don't think it would have been feasible had there not been. I mean, he would have just been he would have been humiliated and exposed um, in terms of what he uh, in terms of what he promised and what they what they'd done. Um, I'm not really fixed on this idea of spending loads of money. I, th- I think you have to spend some money. Um, sometimes you have to go out and buy the best players. Cost a lot of money, like you know, has been ev- evidenced in the past. But it's not for me. It's not a pissing competition about how much money you spend. You can bring players in in all kinds of different ways. You know, so I think of Demba Ba. I think he was a great acquisition. Served the club well, albeit behind the scenes. They're not so good, but uh, and then they got Johan Kabai for four and a half million quid. That was a great signing. So I'm not. I'm, I'm more about what the strength of the squad is rather than how it's put together and how much they invest. So it's, they seem to have brought in four good players. Um, jury's out on them, of course, because they haven't shown us much. And they've brought that Ivan Tony in as well. Now I'm intrigued to see well, how they're going to use him. I think uh, Newcastle's record of bringing through. Young players, especially from other clubs, and bigger Romano immediately springs to mind. They've got a lot to prove in that respect. I think he's taken a big risk, yeah. <laughs> personally, by joining Newcastle after, after everything that's happened. I suppose Perez is the antidote to that. Yeah. But yeah, personally, I, I agree with both of you. And, and like you say, Michael, it was it was definitely a case of numbers to begin with. We need forget about money. We just needed players. Have we got enough? Uh, jury's out. I, I certainly think fullback will must be the only club in there top tier to have absolutely no real cover at fullback. Playing a centre back at fullback doesn't count. That's just shuffling around the the park. I know Mbemba didn't disgrace himself down at Swansea and certainly at Old Trafford, but to be a Premier League club without I'm right on I don't think we'll have a left back or a right back in reserve. Well Dummett I suppose has played most of his football at left back, but yeah. he's not he's not a left back. So um so I know I certainly know what you mean. And yeah, I mean I I think we're certainly a couple of players away from perfect world scenario if they'd gone out and gone and got Charlie Austin for example and if they'd gone out and got another defender you would have to say they've had an A you know an A A plus transfer window they're not at that stage yet uh, the other side of it of course is that they didn't let anybody any of the kind of major uh, major players go Cabela apart um, so I mean that's you know I'd I didn't believe until it was five fifty nine and fifty nine seconds. I didn't believe that you know that the squad would stay stay intact simply because of what we've seen in the past. But um, you know, there's encouragement to be taken there. Or on the other hand, they didn't get the bids they wanted. Yeah. But <laughs> um, uh, but you know, I, I, by and large, I think it, the squad looks you know the squad looks decent now, and certainly um, you know there are there are questions about several positions. You don't have to look back too far to last season to see some of those players lost form badly. You know, look at Colaccini, for example. Okay, he started the season sort of in decent form, but he he was terrible for a lot of last season. So some of those issues, and again, issues about how the new players will do, we don't know yet. They look fine so far, but there are still questions there. But um, you know, I think by and large, by and large, they've done what they they've, they've done what they had to do, and possibly a tiny bit more. I think you know one of the things that's 
um, a lot of supporters, but well, certainly the people I speak to and have contact with, felt about the team last season was, was that they just weren't putting the effort in. And there were certain games, I'm thinking about Leicester away in particular, where they were a disgrace to the shirt, weren't they? You know, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the cup game and in the league game where they were just got torn to, torn to shreds. So I think in terms of filling positions and doing this and doing that, you know, in talking about in talking about personnel, I think perhaps what the biggest thing that they needed to do was to find some kind of new spirit. Yeah, you know, and uh, and I, I sometimes wonder whether or not uh, the new players who've come in have heard this and whether or not McLaren has spoken to them. I, I gather he has and said, you know, such and such. The supporters tell me that they think you're a coward. Yeah, you know, and have those conversations. I think you're a bad player. What, what do you think about that? And whether or not there's, in these early stages of the new season, whether or not players are trying to overcompensate, I don't know. Well, I, I think guess. that's I think that's a great point. I mean, one thing the the otherwise forgettable John Carver, um, you know, greatest coach in the world, mm-hmm. apart from that, one one of the things he said it was after I'm sure it was after the the Sunderland the latest Sunderland defeat. He talked about the DNA of the squad, and I think I think that was a fair I think that was a fair point that he made. Now, has that changed? Uh, we don't know that. Uh, a point that McLaren has made on a couple of occasions this season, which hasn't really been picked up more widely, is that Newcastle, certainly for a couple of the games, have had the youngest starting eleven in the Premier League on that particular weekend. Mm. So, and that's you know that's with a team that's got Colaccini in it. So, they're a young team, and there are questions that will be asked of them over the course of the season that, that you know that haven't haven't been asked yet. How do they perform uh, if things go against them over a two, three, four game period? Yeah. Do they have the character? Do they have, you know, they have the exuberance of youth, but they don't have much experience uh, or not as much experience as other teams. So there's there's very interesting little dynamics there. I think that's an important point because I think a lot of people last in May were talking about leadership, weren't they? Yeah. And big questions were being asked to Colaccini and whether or not he should be the captain or not. And it looked for a while like that he shouldn't be, you know, that he wasn't rallying the troops round. He got sent off for ridic- ridiculous um, uh, kind of challenge, didn't he? And it, you know, it seemed as though the senior players were losing their heads. You know, Jan Matt um, got sent off at Leicester, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And uh, and Williamson as well, you know. So it was like kind of, and Williamson was accused of getting sent off on purpose. Actually, I agree with that. That looked like a really rash challenge, but. Maybe those things should stay between four walls. So leadership was a big thing. So looking at the squad now, Colaccini looks to be a better player. Maybe that's because he's, he isn't carrying around the anvil around his <laughs> ankle, that is Mike Williamson. But um, And he's got Mbemba next to him. And I have to say, Stephen Taylor was unlucky not to keep his place for the Arsenal game because he was. Yeah. I thought he was excellent at Man United. And I haven't always thought Stephen Taylor was excellent. Um so I think leadership and aggression was something that they required last see- last season. So coming into this season, maybe it's not being challenged correctly at the moment or, or or whatever, but I think they were two vital ingredients that we needed back in the pot. Didn't they? Yeah. I mean, if we look ahead, a nice marker, I know we're not, or shouldn't be obsessed by Sunderland, especially since we keep getting beat, but it'll be interesting to see the performance at the stadium light, I think end of October, mid-October, compared to that farce in April which is I mean I've not been watching Newcastle as long as you two but that was the, the worst performance such, 
lost by bigger margins, but in terms of a performance in a football match, some of them were very poor, but vastly superior to Newcastle. It'll be interesting to see if, if we're going to tone this uh, newfound aggression down for that game because it well, certainly would be misplaced. The, the derbies are, we've, we seem to play derby matches now the way Sunderland used to play them, which was um, pure, unintelligent aggression. And then if they don't get a goal, then they haven't got a plan. That, that used to be Sunderland. That used to be how Steve Bruce uh, sorted his teams out for derbies. And we'd soak it up, play the game more cleverly, we were more streetwise, and then we'd beat them. We'd, we'd, just, we'd just beat them. We couldn't help beating them. And that relationship now between the two teams has yeah. changed. And they've got players who are more streetwise and know how to how to play the game. Players like I never realised that like Catamore could be cleverer than anybody, mm-hmm. but he he's, he has been cleverer than than uh, Newcastle players in the last uh, in the last uh, couple of seasons, and so has um, and so has that the succession of managers. You know, one common denominator, Alan Pardew, just didn't yeah. be he wasn't able to set them up to to win to play cleverly, and they lost. You know Kevin Nolan, who was great, but we're going on about the derby, and that's not yeah. really what we wanted to do, was it? If we go, so if we go back to the end of last season, um, Michael, a lot of the stuff you've written um, during the summer and since the season started as well was the need for another centre back. You've been very vocal about that centre forward as well. Haven't seen what's come in, and uh, like you say, the I know it's one game, <laughs> the revival of Stephen Taylor. Are you are you any happier than you were when you were kind of saying that it was absolutely crucial? We got that, that domineering. Uh, what's the right word experienced man at the back well I wanted a kind of uh, Shawcross type of figure to mm-hmm. play to play at the back to win to, to be powerful in the air because I think we've been weak in the air for, for ages at both ends of the pitch defending uh, set pieces and attacking them and um, so we haven't got that player and so you know if you want to be hypercritical which I obviously do that's me auto response <laughs> Um, uh, you know they haven't they haven't signed that player and um, and you know I'll, I've, I've made a joke of it but I do want hard tall fast skillful bastards to play for Newcastle um, and um, they've signed a couple like that a few like I, I, I think but they, they need that they need that centre half who's going to attack corners that, you know defending them and attacking them and and they haven't got that at the back at the back now. I watched um, the kid from um, from Forest. What do you call him? Uh, Lascelles in in the ga- in the game against Northampton, and I thought, you know, I've forgotten about Hugh, um, and I wonder whether or not they they see him as the as the as the player who's going to take over from Williamson because Williamson should have left the club by now, but he hasn't um, for whatever reason. But uh, I wonder whether or not he's the player who's going to move into the. You know, into that spot, and whether or not they can bring him on, and of course they've got Dummett as well, who um, is okay. You mm-hmm. know, he's he's going to get he's going to get better, and sometimes you kind of discard homegrown players too quickly. I think, and he's much better as a centre half. Yeah, he is definitely, and we've done that as a club uh, too readily in the past. I think about players like Steve Watson, who we got rid of, Alan Thompson, Lee Clark. Um, Aaron Hughes, who came through, who came through the ranks, and we got very small bits of money for them, and found it very difficult to replace and get better than them over the years. There was an arrogance. I mean, I always gone about Aaron Hughes because I think right. he's, a, I think he was, he was, he was fantastic. That the club thought they'd, out, they'd outgrown him in mm. some ways, and of course he went on and and did really well at, right. at Villa and then Fulham. And and no, I think that's a good point. I mean, one one thing that has has been a concern 
of mine for a couple of years is that Newcastle have not been a team of team of athletes. You look at the Premier League and so many of those signs, as you said, the big tall bastards, mm-hmm. and you have to be an athlete, and that's the first thing you have to be. And Newcastle have been too small and too flimsy, um, and I think they've gone some way to addressing that. Maybe not as much as as you'd like, but um, there's a bit more muscularity there. Uh, you know, up front there's a presence in Mitrovic. I'm sure he's someone we'll come on and talk about in a minute because there are there are big sort of liability or potential liability. But you know, you're right, with, with him. But but they've they've not been a big team. And you, sometimes you look at opposition teams lining up, and they're giants. Absolutely, I, I saw that a few times last season where I was struck when I sat down in, in my little seat in the Gallagher and looked, and I thought, bloody hell, it's like this youth club playing the social club. You know, when we, when we played um, Southampton and West Brom and Stoke, you know, the teams were like massive. And I'm, you know, it's a silly thing, but I'm thinking, well, you know, when the goalie, kick, you know, at any level of football that you play, do you know when the goalie kicks the ball out of his hands and it's it's in play, who's going to win it? Yeah. Well, it's not going to be Jack Colback or Vernon Anita. Or even Cissé. Or, or Cissé. Who's going to win that, that header? I know Gary Speed, God rest his soul, won every single one. Yeah. You know, and then it was like, Newcastle have got to win the second ball. You know, mm-hmm. they've got to follow the, they've got to follow the play. So they, 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 they've been lacking in that department. I hope um, um, Gino can, can. I can't pronounce his name as you as you as will become evident. <laughs> William Will Yandam. Will Yandam. Gino, for the purposes of Gino, this pod- okay. podcast, um, I'm, I'm hoping that he can he can win headers in the middle of the park. You know, and so that we're not constantly on the back foot when the you know when the ball's brought back into play. So yeah, but I think. That's something we needed. We needed height and we needed strength and we needed aggression and we needed leadership um, and you know, and competitiveness. So I'm hoping that's where we are. So to the other end of the pitch, George, last season, I mean, Charlie Austin's the one that springs to mind. There's been a host of other names. I have to say I'm very surprised Newcastle haven't signed a striker. You would know better than us the club's uh, alleged efforts to flog Cissé, allegedly. Um, Riviere's Riviere and injured <laughs> at the end of last season <laughs> which means he's Riviera yeah, but, yeah. but more so <laughs> so at the end of last season did, could you, did you foresee Newcastle not signing a striker well it's Mitrovic of course <laughs> yeah that's, that's a fair point I suppose I'm, I'm kind of thinking more proven quality and I think Mitrovic will be good but he's he's 20 is he? yeah he is 20 he's, and he I seems mean, a very young 20 at the minute yeah exactly um, um, well I suppose that would I mean, yes, well, no, I'm not surprised by anything they do anymore. Um, uh, And, you know, that whole thing about Premier League, proven Premier League experience, uh, that was something that that was sort of talked about internally at the end of last season, and they haven't done it. And I presume that they haven't done it simply because of the finances involved. But you look at what they paid for Mitrovic, and you look at how much they would have had to pay for Charlie Austin, and... Yeah, that's slightly surprising. I mean, you know, that was one season for Charlie Austin, but um, he would ha- seem to have that sort of physical um, presence, ability that we've just been that we've just been talking about. For me, that seems like a you know, to use that horrible phrase, a no-brainer. But then he stayed at QPR, and nobody else has paid for him either. So you know, you just don't you know, you just don't know. I mean, 
Um, you know, so you know whatever whatever was putting Newcastle off has seems to have you know seems to have put others off. Whether that's the fact that it's the last year of their contract is contract and they think they can get him for nothing in a year or a lot less in six months' time, maybe you know maybe part of it. Um, and of course, that is part of Newcastle's philosophy as well. Um, uh, you know, part of it will be about will be about muddling through. But what they don't do is they don't stop places in their team for the sake of it so if they if they think they've got four players for example for two positions mm-hmm. that's what they'll stick to unless unless they sell one um, I think they would have taken money for Cissé this summer but the right you know he's at that age he's 30 now um, uh, you know they were you know now is the time to cash in on him I'm, as things stand I'm very glad he's he's stayed because yeah. he's the one he's the one guarantee of goals for the minute in the squad Cissé's almost the um Antidote to everything else Newcastle does, and he, in terms of the fact he was bought, read at what twenty seven, yeah, he was twenty six, twenty seven. So he wasn't young. He was no. never going to have any selling value. He was bought for reasonably big money at the time, yeah. ten million a few years ago. He was bought in January. Lo yeah. and behold, like I don't think we've signed another player apart from the uh, rush of French lads that year. So it's it would have been sad, I think, to see him flogged on the cheap to wherever he was going to be flogged to. But uh, you know, he missed ten games through suspension last season. He did. We'll have Mitrovic. It's it's kind of worrying to me. I think we don't want to be going into the you know any any away game or any home game with with Riviera. Front. I hope he comes good. I really do. I think he's he just about sometimes shown he can be. That game against Man United actually at home, he got himself into some fantastic positions. Like. He cocked it up, but he reminds me of that lad who took infamously took uh, Alan Shearer's place in the derby hmm. in '99. Um, Paul Robinson, because he used to get into places, into positions, but he had a rubber foot. Yeah. You know, he used to just like <laughs> he couldn't put his foot through the ball and miss them, and he didn't anticipate. He's not a good player, right? He's my opinion. He's you buy you buy cheap, you end up buying twice. You know, it's a the old salesman's patter, isn't it? You yeah. But in terms of Charlie Austin, George, I mean, you know this much, much better than me, but I had it a kind of... Somebody who really knows the club well told me he was nailed on. Yeah. yeah told yeah. me absolutely nailed on. And, you know, the money was going was being weighed on in betting exchanges, etc., yeah. which is a pretty good indication. And I even heard that he'd been up having a look at a house in Darris Hall and, and, and all that kind of thing, and it was definitely going to happen. Equally, I have heard from somebody who I really, really respect, um, say, who said they've never been interested in him. And when Lee Charnley puts the numbers in his spreadsheet on his in his office in uh, St James's Park, the formula that they have to buy a player, it just didn't stack up with him. So he's 26, 27, so it'd be no sell-on value for him. It's 25. It's 25, 25, is he? Uh, so if they, buy, if, they, if, they give him a, if they give him a five-year contract, which seems to be standard practice at Newcastle, um, then they would be looking to sell him when he was 27, 28, and the money, they wouldn't get the money back from him. And there's also the question of his injuries. You know, he failed a medical at Hull, didn't he? Yeah, you know, so there, there is, there is. Well, West Ham made that point, didn't they? West Ham directors, um, I mean, unnecessarily, unnecessarily, <laughs> came out in public and said, talked about his medical condition. I mean, fifteen million quid. There's two ways of looking at it. Fifteen million quid, one year left on his contract. That's too much money. On the other hand, you look at the goals he scored last season. He's worth That's it, right? Yeah. And with the with the with the money for being in the Premier League next season. It's worth it. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a drop in the ocean compared to that. I wonder what QPR's game is though, because 
you don't need Charlie Austin to get promoted out of the ch- out of the championship, and they must be under pressure under the financial fair play rules, and and he's not going to sign another contract. No, regardless of what they say, he isn't going to sign another contract, and he's going to leave. Now he could leave in January, or he could leave next summer, and he's going to leave on a free, and that's for a club that is, you know, leaking money like a save. You yeah. know, and uh, and it spends far more than it earns. So you just wonder how that club's run. Yeah. But um, it's a shame he didn't come to Newcastle because I think he would have been, you know, all things considered, if he if he if his fitness was fine, I think he could have been a real hero at St James's Park. Like really, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he fits the bill, doesn't he? He looks the part. Um, and Mitrovic, I mean, you know, we have to remember that Mitrovic is twenty years old and he's only played three or four games, but. Um, you know there are concerns. There are concerns there. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Arsenal in a bit. But my my concern with him is that he's played uh, well, like a bit of a dickhead, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean that kind of fondly. I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying that. Well, some of our but dearest friends are dickheads, aren't they? Well, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and, that, and, that, and that and that that moment when he came on against Southampton. I mean, that was. I had a conversation with this. It was like you cannot. You cannot sort of. All right. If he made contact with the lad, not target. If he made contact yeah. with him, it could have been a really, really bad tackle. Yeah. However, that moment in the stadium where the whole stadium goes <gasps> was hilarious. I mean, it was actually hilarious. It was a very, very funny moment. And he thought, "All right, well, this is what Newcastle actually needs. It needs a bit of spite. It needs a bit of spike, and it needs a bit of a loose cannon." And I, and I, I you know, I like that moment, and I found it funny when he does something similar against. In the, at, at Swansea wasn't it yeah. uh, Swansea yeah. um, you think okay well that's less funny mm-hmm. and then when he gets sent off after 16 minutes whatever the wise and wherefores of that decision um, you know he, ironically he sandwiching between those two games he played I mean he came on in those games as substitute at Old Trafford yeah <clears throat> but he played the whole game at Old Trafford yeah and he was excellent he also got I think at Old Trafford he got some shocking decisions oh he did him. he was yeah. getting battered small and was battering them all over the place he never complained he got up I think he relishes it you know, so and he put in a really disciplined performance when he started the game, and and I looked and I thought, oh yeah, he's 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 a good player. You know, he's gonna he's gonna do it. And he can hold the ball up, which is something, another thing that yeah. I haven't had for years. So, what you know, I came out of out of Old Trafford thinking, you know, talking to the lads I went to the match with, saying, oh, I really like him. I think he's you know he's got it. Him, you know, and he's yeah. he's a he's a hard fast. Skillful bastard, you know. So, which is which is what we want, um, and then he he doesn't get any benefit of the doubt from Mariner, not whatsoever on Saturday, and off he trots, you know. I think we'll, we'll talk about the Arsenal game later. We may as well move on to the players Newcastle have signed. Mm. I'd just like to make a point about Austin, uh, McLaren, and presumably Charlie and Ashley said that at the start of the season, first press press conference, the aim is top eight. Look at every single team in the top eight last season had a striker who scored at least sixteen goals. Whether it was Pele, Kane, you move down to the top four and top five. Yeah. We we don't have a player. Even Mitrovic, if Mitrovic scores 13, 14 goals a season, I think everyone's got to be happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of trying to tally up in my head how McLaren, especially since he's the one that said it and therefore has to take responsibility. A, I suppose George, I'll ask you. A, do you think he is telling the truth when he says he's happy with the squad? And B, do you think that when he made that statement, he, he presumed he was getting the top striker? Well, I think he also said, you know, if we could have spent 150 million quid this summer, you know, I'd, I'd, have, I'd have preferred to do that. But yeah. I have to recognise you, you can it. I mean, 
there also comes a point where you have to say, um, you know, how much how much churn do you want in your squad, and how many how many you know how many new players do you want to bring in and assimilate, and it's it's important to kind of get that balance right. Would he have liked another striker? I'm sure he would, and I'm sure he'd have liked another defender as well. I mean, you know, I just think that's I think that just stands to reason. But I don't think he's agitated by what they've done and how they've done it because uh, they have brought quality in and they've given them enough to work with. Um, you know, it would be the Newcastle way if they, you know, if behind the scenes they've talked about waiting till January and try to find some value. I mean, that's just that's the way they, you know, that's the way they work. Um, you know, I think I think McLaren. I think if McLaren says he's satisfied, I think you know I believe him. There's no there's no sense of there's no sense of anything else happening. You know, happening behind the scenes. Fair enough. So I mean, and, and sorry, and just and the other thing about top eight. I mean, that's asking a hell of a lot this season. Um, and you know, top eight and winning a cup. I think that is the that is, well, winning a cup. Good luck with that. Uh, I've long since decided. You know, recognise I'll be dead and buried by the time that happens. <laughs> Um, and life is much more is much more pleasant, sort of embracing that, <laughs> embracing that, <laughs> embracing that theory. Um, embrace failure. Um, embrace failure. Yeah. As long as they try, I'll be happy. You know, in in the cups. As long as they try. Um, top eight. That's asking a hell of a lot this season. I mean, I think that's more of a aspiration. Um, and if they did it this season, I think that would be fairly miraculous. I think if when I say top eight, I've, I've seen the John Lee email, which I've had second hand because I never got it. Lee, what have I done? Um, and um, uh, and I, I, what it doesn't say is top eight this season. No, yeah. it doesn't say that. So it might mean top eight one season. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know whether what if that's a real aspiration this season. Personally, I think as long as they keep away from relegation trouble this year and finish around eleven or twelfth, you know, I think that's a realistic that's a realistic target. And if they do what they say they're going to do, which is build over. You know, every window looking to improve the t- improve the squad, and it's sustainable, and they're not skinting themselves. Then that is the way you want the club to be run. Uh, you want to be run the, the the club to be run sensibly. We always have done. Um, you don't. You know, it's nice to sign a, a great player like Alan Shearer. I always remember those days. But equally, it was madness to sa- to sign players like Michael Owen. You know, we don't want those yeah. kinds. No. Of, those kinds of signings. But um, top eight. That's just not going to happen. That really isn't going to happen no. this season. Not with the players they've got at, at disposal. Not with a new manager. If they, if they if they get to twelfth, you know, sugar sure doesn't say yeah. There's been progress, and maybe next season. Yeah, you want. I mean, that. you want something. People. There needs to be something for people to kind of buy into and see. And firstly, no repeat of what happened last season. Secondly, better football, a, a, a way of playing. You know, a style of play, uh, organization. You know the, the the thing that has sort of staggered me most about the start of the season, I think, was the feeling of being in the being there for the Southampton game and halfway through. And obviously, I'm paid to be there, but halfway through the second half, I actually caught myself thinking, oh, I'm in I'm in St James's Park. I'm quite enjoying myself, mm. and it was. I'm not saying it was the best game of football in the world, but it was a decent game of football, and they were playing. You know, they were playing decent football, mm. and I was and I. Struggle to think back to the last time. Now, obviously, there were special reasons for that last season in terms of what was going on off the pitch. You know, the protests against Ashley, the protests against Pardew before that. But actually being there and just enjoying a game of football was a really nice feeling. I, I um, also think in terms of how fans are perceiving it, 
I think fans, and, and I include myself in this, are fed up with being miserable and fed up with kind of pointing at what's going wrong. But at the same time, not just... Miserable's your middle name. <laughs> it is, you know. <laughs> um, which is to like to look at uh, and to be and have to have a reason for positivity, but not just for its own sake, no. sake because it's nice and uh, you know I am accused of being a pessimist, but I'm not. I'm a. I'm a I think I'm a skeptic, and I need to see evidence of something of something changing. I think there is evidence of something changing, but whether or not we can say that's it, we're on the march. Yeah. I think it's far too early to say that. And I listened to. Uh, um, Alan Shearer on the radio tonight and I agree with everything he said he says it's positive it's a start but you know it'll take years to see whether or not they mean it yeah you know? exactly exactly. Yeah, and that's, the, that's the truth of it there are encouraging there have been encouraging signs whether that's what they've done on the pitch and it's very very early days for that um, you know what's happened in the transfer market and what is being done and said off the pitch there are signs of glasnost or perestroika whatever you, talk, you call it it's not, by no means perfect in that in that respect but there are signs of encouragement however experience tells us that there is a clusterfuck around the corner in Mike Ashley's Newcastle so we have to bear that in mind I mean you always have to bear that in mind and you know it's not up to fans to sort of say brilliant this is a new era it's up to Mike Ashley and Lee Charnley and the rest to prove it prove it is so they have to keep doing it so it has to be day after day, week after week, month after month, and then after that, season after season. If there's cynicism there, and I I share that cynicism, um, it's with very, very good reason. And that's because things can turn very, very quickly. But at the moment, um, it's it's nice to be around the club, not feeling that toxic toxicity in the stadium. And I think that's important. I think that's yeah. I think things got so bad last season, it stopped being a football club. Um and it became something else, and you know, I'm very, I'm very wary about saying it's a football club again, but it's starting to feel like it. I think there there are people who are at the club who are a little bit more likable, aren't they? You know, I, I think Mc, McLaren is somebody I've I've never really taken much attention to in the past. I thought he was a bit of an idiot when he was the England manager, but that's a gig that you, you that you shouldn't really ever volunteer for um, if you have any choice. But I I, I think he's likable. And I think he has the will. I listen to some of the messages I get. I, th- I think they're a bit obvious and a bit blunt that he's trying to curry favour with the support. But at least he's trying to curry favour with yeah. the support. I quite like what he does at the end of games when he points at the players to go to the away end. At, you know, at, like he did at Swansea, and like he did at Man United. Yeah. I think that's a that's a positive thing. And he comes on the pitch himself, and he talks very warmly of the support. You know, I think that's a very that's a positive thing, and that shows that he's got the will to do that. Um, because the p- other people he's got around him, particularly John Lee and Ashley, just seem to be unable to do that. Yeah. You know, I, I, we were talking earlier, and Ashley, Ashley, you know, his his interview at the end of last season was a positive move. You know, and he made those, but it was painful. It was like it was, sitting yeah. on a pin, wasn't it? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and Charlie just does not want to do it either. He just seems to have no confidence in himself, no. and the, and the the miss that public figure. Now I'm not saying we should have Sir John Hall talking nonsense, <laughs> you know, about how he was going to take over the world and um, through Newcastle United, or Freddie Shepard telling me that Real Madrid were a smaller club than us and all <laughs> yeah. that kind of, you know. Rubbish. One thing that Newcastle doesn't need is more bullshit. I mean, that's, no, that's no, absolutely we've got, true. We've got enough of that to last a lifetime. But, 
but you're spot on because that, I mean this was this is one of the things that killed Pardew in the end was that he was he was being the spokesman for the club absolutely and that wasn't his fault. Mm-hmm. What was his fault was that um, he I mean he sort of made that role bigger for himself and he talked in very grandiose terms and he said too much and he you know he became he became annoying and he became tainted and he was certainly tainted with his with his association with the regime. McLaren's come in, it's a new start, so that he doesn't quite have that, you know, so it's not that feeling yeah. that he's there as Ashley's stooge, not, yeah. certainly not at the moment. Um, and it's a different voice. And um, I mean, what, I'm, I'm very interested to, to see how it pans out. I reported on, uh, on, on Middlesbrough for the whole time that he was there. And if I had to define uh, one, if I had to use, say, one quality which defined him, I would say ambition at that time. And it was not endearing. And it wasn't. He didn't endear himself to Middlesbrough fans, in spite of the fact that that's the most, by far, the most successful period in their history. And he played. Um, there were kind of a lot of exciting matches, but the the style of football he played was very, very pragmatic, and it caused a lot of frustration. Now, the ambition side of it has been kicked out of him for fairly, um, you know, fairly well established reasons. He went abroad, very, which you know, I think, really uh, admirable to do that. Um, and he's come back and. You know, he's talked about this already. That he's not defined by ambition anymore. You know, I think he see he would see Newcastle as somewhere where he could fulfil his ambitions, whatever they are now. I don't think he's going to be itching to leave straight away. And so he's got a chance. You know, he's actually got a chance to do something to sort of mould something to show the kind of manager he can be without being restless about going going somewhere else. I'm, I'm you know, he. In terms of kind of press stuff, he's like an antidote to Pardew because he's, it's just pretty straightforward. It's nothing, you know, he's not going to go off on a tangent about Europa League. He's not going to say something daft about the Europa League or referees or, you know, whatever. He's not going to do that. He's not going to behave like a dickhead on the touchline. He's not going to headbutt someone or push someone <laughs> or anything like that. Um, and at the moment, it's a good, it's a good antidote, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm fascinated to see, see where it goes on the pitch. And it's, and it's on that style of play that's really interesting because harking back to last season and this season, what we, what we were accused of, of not having was an identity, and even after four or five years of Pardew being there, I really couldn't tell you how his team played. You know, it occasionally was attractive when he had Kabai there playing short passes and. Etc. And playing with pace down the flanks, etc. With Hatton Ben Arthur when he, you know, when he when he didn't uh, get his loyalty card with Greggs, <laughs> um, but but also you know, um, but also that was the kind of the just the hoof the ball up the pitch, yeah. you know, and you know just didn't have a midfield at all, and uh, you know you couldn't see very one dimensional, unable to change during games, um, you know when when we went to goal down that was it we yeah. were losing those matches, yeah. um, so. With McLaren, I'm hoping that I'll see a bit of an identity to, to how we play. You can see the germ of it, can't you? Yeah. You know, you can, and certainly, you know, um, I like the way they defended against Man United. I like the way they defended against Arsenal. They didn't have a lot of the ball in both games, but they looked organised. And I like the way they were showing the player the inside instead of letting them get round the back of them. Add Old Trafford and it's in James's last week. And although there are some negatives to this season, one of the positives is, is that they've played Man United away, they've played Arsenal at home, and neither team of them, neither team has scored a clean goal. They've got an own goal. They've got a yeah. Arsenal got a goal that went in off Colicini's ankle. Um, so 
that that's a positive to me that they they managed to keep clean sheets virtually in the, in those two games and they looked like a unit defending covering for each other and when players were trying to get down the side of them showing them inside and taking the ball off them you the know? only thing I'd say about that is Newcastle I mean and I agree with you watching that Arsenal game uh, it was only really taking a step back away from it and a couple of days later you sort of look back at the stats and stuff and there wasn't a single shot on target and it certainly wasn't a game that I felt Newcastle tried I mean I know they had 10 men but tried to win or tried to impose themselves on it I thought it was a very disciplined defensive performance but I didn't think there was much else to it and I kind of I wonder a bit a like, bit bit like Swansea you know they were poor at Swansea but yeah. you know um, I think at Swansea you know when John Matt went off Pardew or Carver had been there we'd be looking at a 4-0 5 yeah. humiliation feeling really terrible about ourselves and sometimes damage limitations are a positive thing and I think McLaren did that, you know, in those two games when he's lost, when he's lost the player, and um, uh, you know we've uh, we we lost players, and it was it's important not to get Haydens, yeah, you know, and we got no, loads no, of them, enough. we got yeah. loads of them with Pardew. I think you know, Pardew, I don't have the exact figure, but his overall goal difference in Newcastle was absolutely disgraceful, yeah. considering we had such a good season. We'll have to crack on because right. time, time yeah. is getting away from yeah, us. Yeah. Uh, the new players, George, where do we go back to front? Uh, we'll start with Mbemba. Initial thoughts when he signed, and, and has he lived up to expectations so far? Well, when he turned up for that first game wearing his tuxedo, that was just that was it for me. He's automatically, my favourite player of all time ever. I don't, yeah. really have, <laughs> I don't, I don't have anything else to add to that. Um, and except that, except that, then Thova kind of spoilt it slightly by also turning up in a tuxedo, but um, didn't spoil it. But <laughs> I just love that picture, um, especially uh, since he just had the sky with the taxi. Yeah. It was nice when we just put out of the line <coughs> and just thought, forget about this, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. That was quite funny, me being involved in that industry. I just, I'm trying to imagine the taxi driver when, he, when he's got the you know, supermarket Morrison's at Bagger and he looks at the bloke in the tux, <laughs> does he not think, hang on, obviously something's up. No, he just drives, he goes for it. He goes, I've got my fare. <laughs> straight, straight, yeah. straight to the casino. Yeah. Um, um, no, and I think he's been, I think he's been, yeah, he's looked, he's looked good. He was... Uh, the first game Southampton, he was uh, he was a little bit out of position for for a goal, but I thought overall uh, looks very solid. The fact that he could go to right back and do and and do well is a bonus. Um, I agree with you, Michael. I thought I thought Stephen Taylor. I mean, if you keep a clean sheet, Old Trafford, I thought he would keep the back four the same. Um, so and again moving forward in terms of relationships and all that that'll be interesting to kind of keep an eye on but um, no I thought I th- you know I think Mbemba's look really good um, uh, nothing you know nothing other than encouraging I think James Chester no disrespect Ron it might be a very promising player at 8 million compared to Mbemba there's no comparison I think Newcastle have done totally the right thing there by going abroad he's very young as well what impresses me about Mbemba there are lots of things but he gets angry he actually gets pissed off at teammates, and we haven't. We never had that. Williams would say, you know, anything to anybody. Yeah. He would just kind of look around and hope no one would notice the massive fuck up. <laughs> but, but I've seen Mbemba getting into it. Everyone was cross with my yeah. name. As well, so I've seen Mbemba having to go to Colacini, <coughs> speak to us, or something like that. And it's yeah. that kind of when I play football with me mates, especially competitively, we'll have a go at each other. We're still mates, and you just feel like Newcastle, especially last season. Yeah, Colacini doesn't do that. Either. Exactly, but yeah, the, yeah. the whole squad maybe Cisse, but the rest of them, and you, you just feel like a couple of them. Should have been getting bollocked off their teammates at half time, yeah. and that doesn't happen. And maybe players like Mitrovic and Bemba 
who have come from a you know it's a, a lower standard, but it's a winning environment. They've walked into Newcastle used to winning football matches at a high level in the Champions League as well. Yeah. So that's that's really positive. Michael thoughts on member? I like him. I, I think he's a he, he's he looks handy. He looks strong. He looks good, decent in the air um, and on the deck. He's got he looks like he's comfortable on the ball, um, and he, he he hasn't done anything really daft. Um, and he's in a team that's done a lot of defending mm-hmm. um, in his early stages. So, yeah, I, th- I, I do I do like him. I think he's a I think he's a he looks like a uh, he looks like a um, a player to me. So yeah, I think thumbs up from all of us. Moving on through the team, we've got the next player to sign or the first player to sign was Winyaldum. Gino to you. Winyaldum. 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 <laughs> Thoughts so far, Michael? Oh, I think he's the pick, isn't he? He's the he's the pick of what we've what we've signed. He looks um, again. He's got that energy, raw energy about him. Um, he looks clever, competitive. Um, he looks like he could be a leader. Um, uh, I think he'll be a big. He looks like he's a big personality on the pitch as well. You know, he gets around. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can get. He's he's very fit. Very you know. Oh, the girl against Southampton proves that. Absolutely, you know, and he, he so. Um, I think there's loads to come from him. I'm really looking forward to seeing how he develops as a, as a Newcastle player. You know, um, it's interesting before he kicked the ball. Um, uh, Mourinho was saying, "Oh, he could play for Chelsea." Yeah. I don't know whether or not that was like Mourinho's bullshit, or <laughs> if whether or not he's tapping a Newcastle player before they've even played <laughs> for us. That would be a new development, wouldn't it? But um, uh, it, it was that somebody of Mourinho's stature is talking about a Newcastle player. Is is a positive is a positive thing and not laughing, you know. That's a, that's, a, that's a good that's a good thing. Um, so he's the pick of the bunch, and I think he could be. I think he could potentially. He's got the potential to be a midfield player of the, you know, of the standard and quality of somebody like Robert Lee or Gary Speed. You know, who probably the two one of the t- amongst the two best midfield players I've seen in in Newcastle shirts. High praise indeed, George. Uh, I mean, what surprised me most. Not most, but uh, surprised me a lot was that last season um, in the Dutch league. Obviously, PSV were very successful with a certain Luke de Jong leading the line. Um, Luke de Jong, Memphis Depay, and Wijnaldum got a lot of plaudits, and obviously Man United have bought in uh, Memphis for a lot of money, and they seem to be placing all of their eggs in his basket. He's the one for Man U this season. He's not kind of fallen foul of Van Hal's selection policy. Many. I suppose exports and experts in Dutch football, and certainly um, he was he was um, named Player of the Year in Holland ahead of Memphis. That, that's what really impressed me. Do you think we've kind of got someone of that caliber? And maybe he's a bit underpriced by PSV. Um, I suppose I'd be. I mean, I agree with what Michael says. Certainly in, t- in terms of how he's played so far, he looks class. I mean, that's basically that's basically what you know how I would how I would describe him and kind of leave it like that. I'd be very reluctant to hail him as. Uh, you know, as underpriced or whatever, because I just think I think you know, it, it, form can dip very quickly. But he he looks a business so far, and yeah, he's probably the one I feel most most enthusiastic about. Um, drive, energy, quality, um, just absolutely what the mid- midfield needed to sort of energize it. Really, um, you know, I always think that. You know, he, he's not a secret. He isn't a secret. So I tend to think if he's not being picked up, there'll be a reason yeah. for that. And you know, the same was, you know, you can you can make the same argument with Kabai. Although you'd, the way he then played for Newcastle, you would say that was probably a mistake on the bigger clubs. They'll all have known about him. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, Newcastle being the right right place at the right time at the right price. Um, but you know, I don't think it's you know it's not as if they're going into a market that nobody knows about and they've plucked this you know this this diamond from the rough. He'll have been known about. Um, so they either think he's not he's not good enough, or they think give him a couple of years at Newcastle, see how he yeah. develops. And you know, you look you look at what the big clubs do now. They're quite content. You know, rather than spending ten million quid now, they'll happily spend thirty million quid in two years' time. You know, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with him, but no, that's um, a great point though. I mean, there's that amazing stat, isn't there, of Chelsea having 30 players out on North for yeah. God's sake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I suppose another player who was well-known and constantly linked with probably every Premier League club was uh, Thorvan or Tovan. Um, I have to confess I don't know much about him, apart from that he's played very well so far for Newcastle. Um, your thoughts on him so far, George? Well, I didn't see the Northampton game, so um, I was a, I was doing crisis watch at, uh, at Sunderland that night. But, uh, <laughs> um uh, so I didn't see that game, and it's not really, you know, massively fair to judge him mm-hmm. uh, against uh, against Arsenal simply because of the circumstances of the game. Uh, you know, I'm like you; I haven't watched a huge amount of the French league, so uh, I'm willing to I'm willing to wait and see. Uh, Newcastle got their fingers burnt with Cabella. I know he wasn't there for very long. He looked, uh, but right from the start, he looked. I mean, and. Is a year is a year long enough mm. for every player to settle? Well, no, it's not. Some players Playing take that team some as well. Some players take longer. He was playing for a shit team, uh, but to me, he looked like a sparrow. He looked physically absolutely not equipped to play in the Premier League. And you know, you can compare him with someone like Perez, who I absolutely love as a footballer. Mm. Is not a big player at all, but has got something about him. Has got a bit of. Uh, has got a bit of spike about him, you know, knows how to use his elbows. Cabela was just lightweight. So I'm not, you know, I won't, I'm not going to judge Thovan what I've seen so far. There's just always a bit of caution. I don't think they can get every single one right. There's a bit of excitement about him. Great, let's let's see what he can do. Well, I, I saw him, he came on at Man United and in 30 seconds he convinced me that he was twice the player <laughs> of Cabela. Within 30 seconds he... he his movement, his touch on the ball, his direction, what he was doing was just like, you know, and I said to the lad I was with, I said, he's just a million times better than Cabela, and that's just 30 seconds. <laughs> he did more in that 30 seconds than Cabela did all last season with these silly little step overs, you know, with 30, you know, the nearest player 30 yards away from him, and he's on the halfway line with nobody near him. Um, so I think I'm positive, I'm optimistic about him. I think he's got something. I think he can. I think he'll open teams up. I think what's impressed me, albeit short, you know, short notice with him and uh, Wijnaldum, is that both very rarely give the ball away. They both kind of respect the fact that if there's no option on, you either go to ground, which is cynical, but last season we didn't do it, which is yeah, exactly. And you know, Wijnaldum, especially against Arsenal, and even Tobar when he went up front, I was thinking, why is he playing him up front? Get Perez on. But actually, although we created absolutely nothing. He held the ball up as best he could. He didn't give it away. He put himself up there. I think he's a, a, a very versatile player. I think he'd probably play anywhere across that midfield, especially in, a, in an attacking sense. So, delighted with him. And that's, that brings us on to, if I'm not forgetting anyone, Mitrovic, who we've talked about already, and we could lead into the Arsenal game here because that's what immediately springs up. Mm. Um, we were just talking before, and Michael, I may as well start with you. I read your editorial and I read the match report from Gareth. 
and I, I talked about this week on the podcast, and all three of us have absolutely slated Mariner, and you're, you're now thinking possibly our... Or wrong. <laughs> no, because I, I think Mariner was he had a really terrible game because it wasn't just that. Um, I think if he, you know, I think he didn't give him the lickings of a dog, and I agreed with Mariner that he, he with uh, McLaren, he, he he should have got a booking, he should have got a yellow card, but it was clumsy. I don't think it was cynical. But Mariner had a terrible game. There was all kinds of mis- mistakes he made. He got big decisions wrong that. Um, uh, Bellerin should have got a penalty when uh, Torvin clipped his mm. clipped his ankles accidentally. Otherwise, it was a nailed on penalty. Missed that. One. You cannot be angry at that. Though. No, I'm not. <laughs> but I'm 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 there. What I'm saying is is that Mariner is, is a shite referee. Um, just before they scored, the ball went out of the play on the Milburn side of the pitch. I don't know because I saw it. Uh, and the linesman who didn't help him, he was equally mm. bad. He the, he didn't have his eye on the ball. The ball went out. 10, 15, 20 seconds later, the ball's in the net. And the same thing happened on the byline at the Gallagher. The ball went out of play, missed that. Um, Colbach in the first half was fouled, hacked down um, in our half and got immediately jumped back up. Didn't get a th- the re- Mariner didn't react to it. Arsenal, for all of the alleged physicality of Newcastle, seldom had the coach on, there was seldom a sponge on, mm-hmm. the, on, the, on the pitch. Didn't replace any players with injuries, etc. And there were a number of incidents where Mariner let a player roll on after an Arsenal player had fouled a Newcastle player professionally, tugged their shirt, blocked them, etc. Which was the right thing to do, but he never pulled the player back and booked the, and booked the Arsenal player. And I think he was very, very harsh on, on, Newcastle, on Newcastle on Saturday. And I think he's a terrible referee. Um, if Sissoko if gets a yellow card... Mitrovic should get a yellow card but he did that very early in the game and mm. he never gave them any licence whatsoever when you see a lot of referees would pull a player and say calm down this is not you know and he never did that he never gave us any leeway whatsoever he's a terrible referee I hope I never see him again <laughs> George you disagree I think um, I do disagree but I sort of don't care as well in the same in the sense <laughs> in the, in the, what I mean by that is the atmosphere was so good on Saturday, and I know that's no consequence if you lose the game and he, there's been a terrible decision or whatever it is. But um, I read I read some absolute horseshit from Ian Wright um, in a in one of our tabloid papers this week, saying criticising Newcastle fans for being overly hostile <laughs> um, and that there should be more respect for the referee and all. That. I've never read. Well, I, I probably have. I've probably written worse. <laughs> than that. But I just thought, I mean, I thought the atmosphere was brilliant and I thought it became a pantomime, he became a pantomime villain, the crowd were a pantomime audience, it was hostile, it was horrible, everything he did, he couldn't have got anything right. If he got something right, it would have been booed for being wrong. And that was brilliant because the, t- because the fans stayed with the team, that said a lot about the team, it said a lot about the atmosphere at the club and that's really the thing that I took from it. I kind of came away... Not thinking there's been a massive injustice here, I came away laughing because I thought it was a, I thought it was just a great, hostile, horrible environment. Exactly what you want St James's Park to be. You want it to be like that all the time, of course. You want it to be horrible for referees. You want it to be horrible for opposition players, and there hasn't been enough of that. So that was kind of, that's the first feeling I came away from it. Um, I, I know it's debatable because I've I've seen the debate and it's you know there's. Very rarely clear answers for these things. I thought Mitrovic was a sending off. 
um, but it's borderline. And I, th- I think having 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 booked Sissoko by that standard, you send off Mitrovic. But um, did I, did at the end of it? Did it feel like it was a game that had had? A red, you know, a red card, or should have had a red card, and seven bookings for Newcastle players. No, not at all. It didn't feel like that kind mm. of performance from Newcastle at all. Arsenal made the most of things. The thing that Mariner really got wrong, I thought, was the penalty, was the non-penalty decision. Mm. I don't think he's a great referee either. But um, you know, I think uh, I hated the fact that there was a sending off that early in the game. I would, I would have hated it if it was Arsenal because it just completely yeah. ruins the whole day. I mean, it ruins the whole day, it ruins the whole game. Um, and but I also think Mitrovic has to take a huge amount of responsibility for that. Um, I've seen him described as brainless, and I think you know I think that's a fair. I think I think that's a fair criticism of him. He has to learn, and he has to learn very quickly. Um, uh, uh, you know, he's giving at the moment. He's giving referees excuses to book him or send it, send send him off. Uh, however, he's a young lad. And um, you know uh, he will he will get better. There's enough there. There's enough in him to think there's a player there, and that's good. What you don't want is for him to be sort of harmed at the start. If that's the right you know if that's the right word, you don't want him to be sort of being judged like this. So you early. don't want a Lee Catamull situation. A lot of no, no. I know see Lee Catamull often gets a booting for being Lee Catamull. Obviously, I would disagree with them, but that's, no, that's yeah. how they feel. Should get a jail sentence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, no I know, no, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And he's had a Lee Catamol has had a, I mean, he's also been guilty of brainlessness. And mm-hmm. quite often, in fact, you know, I've seen it at the start of this season. You know, when he's 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 played really badly. A lot of that is the fact that he's trying to take responsibility. When Lee Catamol concentrates on being Lee Catamol, he's a perfectly decent footballer. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of how to. You know, he's a he. You know, he does what he does, and he does it well. When he tries to be Steven Gerrard, that's when there's that's when there's a problem. Now Mitrovic, I you know I think needs to concentrate on being a centre forward, not attempting to sort of become a crowd favourite or yeah. whatever it is he's doing. Mm. Easier said than done. You've got fifty thousand yeah. people there behind you, but um, but you know, so back to that sort of Arsenal thing, I, I, I loved the atmosphere. I thought it was a great atmosphere. It was hostile, it was horrible, it was, you know, I could take pleasure, take pleasure from that atmosphere and I want more atmospheres like that, not less. Dead right. I mean, St James's Park's uh, it's best when it's a bear pit. You know, when it's, not, you know, it's, some people think it's great, it's all about singing a song from first, I like it when we're harassing officials yeah. and, you know, complaining and, you know, and, jeering players and you know and just generally getting on players backs and making their life miserable you know so yeah I agree with you George that's that's what St James's, St. James's Park should be about it's better when the rain's coming in sideways as well <laughs> and you know and it's cold and dark and miserable that's just for the added extra we didn't have that on Saturday but you know we can have it sometime this season I'm sure there's was, there was someone who I'd sit on right at the end, edge of the press box we've got these little TVs and so, you know, that's in the Millburn stand. And there was there's a couple of people who I was always speak to, always have a chat with, and every, every time there was a decision, they would look at us and say, was that a foul, was that a foul? And kind of go, well, I think so, yeah, I think so. <laughs> but they'd still be back on their feet the next time the referee did something. Yeah, yeah, fucking wanker. It doesn't really matter. 
Yeah. <laughs> Someday if there's a guy sits next to us, he'll say, I think that was a phone. And I'll say, who's fucking saying that you I suppose a good example would be Old Trafford. When I first started going to Old Trafford under Ferguson, the atmosphere has been criticised heavily at Old Trafford. But the thing that struck me was that every time Man United got in the box, a player would just have to fall over and the whole of that stretch for them. Yeah was on their feet and they expected a penalty and they expected Man United to score every time they went forward and the noise it wasn't it wasn't songs like you say but it was a noise that Old Trafford created where you were like shit we're going to concede here and you would yeah. be I'm sure you still were shitting yourself <laughs> the other week when it was 0-0 Michael I mean, but it's yeah. when, I, when I went back a couple of years ago when we won 1-0 it, it disappeared very very quickly they've lost a lot with Ferguson going haven't they he was the, the kind of just he just had so much but it was Man United you know for so long but earlier than that it was Liverpool you know people used to say you know, a player goes down in the cop, you know, in the 80th, 80th minute, and it's a penalty, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, and Newcastle have had that over the years as well, you know, when, you know, we've had, you know, we've had a few decisions our way when the crowd's been up for it, you know, and I'm sure that, I mean, I think there was an Arsenal player booked on Saturday, and I think the crowd got him booked. Yeah. I can't remember which one it was in the middle of the second half, you know, um, think that was a we demanded that he was booked yeah. you know so and and in the best of those moments that's it's team feeds off crowd crowd feeds off team mm-hmm. you know um i'm trying to think i'm trying to think was it in, was it in the southampton game um and bemba made a tackle and he just brought this yeah brought this roar up and i know that's you know i know it's pretty lowest common denominator stuff there. but it's important I mean it is really important that there's that Torvin made a tackle on uh, Saturday which he got a yellow card for and I thought that was you know it was a foul but again when he makes a foul it's an automatic yellow card you know and um, and that got a great roar didn't yeah. it you know and, and I thought at the time it looked clean as a whistle he did contact them you know but it's the narrowest of margins definitely um, and I, th- and I think you're right George if they say something like that a dramatic moment it can change a game yeah. can't it so moving on to the rest of the season and the transfer windows ahead. I mean, Charlie's oh, email. <laughs> Charlie's email, a new chapter, and he talks about you know the long term strategy and how they're delighted with what they've brought in and they want to reshape and restructure. And there's a lot of buzzwords there. I'm sure whoever wrote it from is you know is earned their money there because the response has been pretty positive for most people I know on social media. But uh, George, have Newcastle done enough to get through to January without needing major surgery? And if so, what, where will we need it? Well, I really hope so. Yeah, I really hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked earlier about possible causes of concern. I think they're there, but there's definitely enough to have a... You know, there's enough there, more than enough there for McLaren to work with. He's got options in midfield. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, two points from four games isn't very much it's it's more than I thought they'd have it's two points more than the same fixtures yeah. last season yeah it's two. It's more than I thought they'd have so you know there are, there are question marks as we've, again as we've already said it's a young team you know how, how do they react if it's two points after five games how do they re, you know react if it's two points after six games or whatever you know there's, there's still question marks there but as things stand um, the feeling is you know I'm, I'm feeling uh Encouraged and, and positive, yeah. They they look. They certainly shouldn't be looking to January um, in terms of major surgery. Michael, some players. Uh, I wonder about them. I wonder what. Um, I wonder what McLaren's going to do with them. Um, Sissoko, he's a, a, a strange fish, I think, because I don't know where his position is really. Um, he hasn't nailed a, a position down at Newcastle, even though 
and he said I'm a lot opportunity to do it and being de- and the club's been desperate for him to do it as well do they play him wide do they play him in the midfield if they play him in the midfield who are they going to move to accommodate him so I think he's got a it's a strange time for, for him um, but I think he will get a game and then the other one is De Jong <coughs> who looks like a really great player but you know he's, he looks like he's made it also would you know he's uh, he's always injured you know I laugh at some of the things you know he's got a shin injury he's not been playing 10 minutes <laughs> you know but um, so he's uh, so he, 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 that's an interesting one where they're going to where they're going to play him you know that you know how they're going to fit him into the team and Perez you don't know how but maybe these are strengths you know maybe this the, maybe well, the, 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 the Southampton game you looked at the bench and thought Jesus and the bench was good wasn't actually it? a good bench and if that's how you judge your yeah. Squad and you know really it should be it's it's you you look at the bench and it's it's a it's a good bench now I mean I love Perez but he was not expected to do anything like what he did last season he was bought as you know as 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 a player with potential and he was fantastic he was brilliant he obviously got a bit tired towards the end of the season I hope there's a place for him because I think he's a great I think he's a great little player um, De Jong you want to see him get a chance to 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 show something anything. Sissoko, you know, can be can be the incredible disappearing footballer. Equally, there have been moments already this season when, for five minutes, ten minutes, he's been the one that's driven the team, yeah. Yeah, and he is such a muscular player. Um, yeah. You know, he's there's again there's something there. Whether that comes out of a more successful team, a winning team, um, I understand why he's still at Newcastle. Okay. And, and he hasn't yeah. got the move that he, he he wants to, you know, a Champions League club that he that he wants to play for because there are loads of weaknesses to his game. He's touch being one of them. Yeah. But um, so so there's that. But there's there's other players as well. Like I wonder where what where Teoti is now. Yeah. You know what? What's yeah. In who McLaren knows very well. Yeah. What's in his head? Yeah. You know. Um, a brick wall, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so does he want to stay? Does he want to go? Should he have gone? Did the one shot of him probably? But so where, where's he going to play? Aaron's. And, he's another interesting. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And and then yeah, I look at Vernon Anita, who has been bad for so long, but has had two or three half decent games. But I don't like him and Callback playing in the same team. Well, especially this four-two-three-one, and it, it's all right, man. You away Arsenal at home, backs against the wall, but it's it's a creativity vacuum him and callback playing so far back as well in front yeah. of the, the defence it's got to be a that, that's the position that you would expect a fully fit function in Czech Teoti to prosper in or a media bead <laughs> but we're seeing you playing two creative ball playing players in front of the back four who don't really know how to tackle or protect the back four yeah they're okay getting the ball off the keeper from a goal kick and possibly finding space but if that's the long term plan for this team I, I would worry about it I did look at Colback in a couple of games we've played this season and I thought if, if you were Johan Kabai we would be bossing this game you know he, and he's 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 such a good hearted player isn't he he's a good professional I understand and you know and he never goes missing he's always shown for the ball etc but I'm not sure if he's good enough to, to take us to where we need to be you know he's 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 average. You know he's six out of ten. Uh, and Vernon, he, uh, he's a footballer who doesn't kick the ball much. Mm. You know he does. He's unco- but he covers loads of grass. I think he's been good this season. He's done all right. <laughs> he's done. He's done all right. But um, I want something a little bit different in there. You know. So 
But McLaren's got choices, you know, and that's good. And there are others who, you know, I think times up. You need to you need to be leaving, and that's Williamson, Gufran, and Obatan. Um, you know, they need to be moving out of the club. But how they're going to do that, I don't yeah. know. I don't know where the contracts are at, like to be honest. But makes a change to be having this sort of conversation, then, doesn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah it's definitely positive. And the fact that we can't second guess, the, the fact that we can't pick the team, yeah, you know. Um, and that the manager has choices is a really, really good one. And I thought, you know, when Jan Matt got sent off at Swansea, um, he didn't, McLaren didn't have to bring him back. Yeah. You know, he didn't have to, you know, he could, after Man United, he could have played. And Ben Barrett right back and said, learn your lesson, Daryl, you know, you're, you've lost your place in the Holland team. You know, you, you're going to lose it in your castle. You need to be more disciplined and professional. So that was a, that's a positive and that's, that's part of the thing. But I still think we're short of a centre half in a, and a striker in particular, you know, because CC is not going to do it over the season in Mitrovic's role. So that's about it for today. Um, thanks very much, George, for your time. We really appreciate it. Been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks enjoyed much. it. Thanks as always, Michael. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back on the uh, on Monday with a, a special podcast for the international break, and then radio show next Friday. Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.